some of Victoria's before, before Hugh comes and speaks. So Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. working okay? Great, thank you. Uh, look, any child enjoys Christmas, don't they? Pretty much every child, you get presents. Um, it's great, and you can have lots of fun and everything else. And then, if, if you were anything like our family, there's that period somewhere a few days after Christmas, which is nothing like as much fun, because it's the writing the thank you letter time. Remember, you know, dear Auntie Barbara, thank you for your lovely Christmas present. I'm looking forward to playing with it. Love, Hugh. Uh, and, you know, you, you'd have to write, well, depending on how many relatives you had and friends, you know, 5, 10, 15 letters. It was a drag. I mean, the present was lovely. The thank you was a drag. Uh, and you didn't have texts in those days. You know, you, you couldn't write an email. Uh, but I did, I remember one Christmas when I suddenly thought of an idea and I got hold of my dad's typewriter, and I put it on the table, and I got some carbon paper, and put it around, and I started typing, and I was writing five letters at once. It was fantastic. I thought it was a brilliant idea. My mum thought it was a lousy idea, and unfortunately, she discovered it before I could finish, so they all got torn up, put in the wastepaper basket, and we were back to dear Auntie Barbara. Um, and that's the way. Look, this letter here, it's a thank you letter. Not for a Christmas present, but for a, a present that the uh, Philippian Christians had sent to this man, Paul. And um, it's a better thank you letter than any of the ones I wrote. And it's almost certainly a better thank you letter than any of the ones you wrote or that you received. And, uh, well, he kicks off a familiar enough way, Paul. 
Paul, a familiar name if you were at Christchurch Philippi that Sunday morning when they read the letter out. Uh, he'd been a mission partner for years. And uh, uh, this is a letter that's got its hard-hitting moments, but it's obvious there's chemistry between them. The, the, the Christian church at Philippi loves Paul and he loves them. He talks about praying with joy, verse 4. He talks uh, 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 about having you in my heart, verse 7. He talks about longing for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus, verse 8. And there's plenty more of that to come, as we'll see. And he writes in verse 1, it comes from Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and it is to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. To all. doesn't matter who you are, this is for you. Whoever. And he doesn't make the mistake of writing as if the vicar is the church. Or the church is the vicar. And I, it's, it's to all of you, but stay awake, David. Because it's together with the overseas and deacons. Uh, you know, you may just to get uh, tacked on at the end of it all, but there's something here for you as well. So, who are these people? What do they think of this apostle? What does he think of them? Uh, as we look at that a little, I think we'll discover two things that I hope are true for all of us in this room. And the first is, is this, that uh, these are gospel partners. Uh, you see, Paul is giving thanks too in verse 7. Uh, he's uh, uh, praying uh, with joy in uh, verse, uh, uh, sorry, in, in verse 3 he's giving thanks. Uh, he's praying with joy in verse 4. And he's doing so, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. And the word for partnership is a word that, that's often translated as fellowship, only it's obviously far more than just a cup of coffee and a, a chat about the weather or the kids or the football score or, or whatever it may be. Uh, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now look, if someone's going to be a gospel partner, the first thing that needs to be true of them is that the gospel has to have been at work in the partner. And Paul looks at these Christian church and, and all that he knows of them, he says, look, I, I'm so grateful because the gospel's been at work in you from the first day until now. And if you wanted to know what happened on the first day, you, you'd really need to turn back to Acts chapter 16 because it tells the story of when Paul landed in Europe and went to Philippi. Uh, and uh, there's no synagogue there, which is where he normally started telling people about Jesus. So uh, he goes down by the riverside, which culturally would be the place where people might stop and pray together if they were that kind of God-fearing type. And he bumps into Lydia, a seller of purple cloth. I think she kind of had the Laura Ashley franchise in Philippi at the time, you know, fine fabric. And he starts telling her about the gospel, and the Lord opened her heart to receive the message. And Lydia's baptized. And they go into the city, and there's this slave girl who's a bit of a fortune teller. Uh, and... Uh, She's raking it in for her, her owner. And she sees Paul and Silas, his companion, is with him. And he says, she shouts out, they're servants of the Most High God. They're servants of the Most High God. And wherever Paul and Silas go, this wretched girl is coming after them, saying they're servants of the Most High God. And she might be right, but Paul shows he doesn't really believe that all publicity is good publicity because he gets fed up after a while of this. And he just rounds on her and casts out uh, this evil spirit that's 
actually motivating her and driving her. And the slave girl is free. And the slave owner, ah, well, they've just lost their salary and their pension pot and everything else, and they're furious. And so uh, uh, they drag Paul before the magistrate, and a bit of a riot starts up, as it often does. And the magistrate gets Paul and Silas uh, on one side, strips them, flogs them, throws them in jail, puts them in the most secure cell, uh, and that's uh, uh, where they're kept. Only when it comes to midnight that night, there's an earthquake. And uh, uh, all the cell doors get flung wide open. All the chains fall off the prisoners. The jailer wakes up, sees the doors open, thinks everyone's escaped, and that means he's had it. He's about to commit suicide uh, when Paul shouts out, says, says, we're all still here. And the jailer is so dumbstruck. He says, what must I do to be saved? And he hears the message and gets baptized. These three extraordinary gospel partners, here's where it begins as the gospel is at work in it. And you see in that Philippian jailer the lengths God will go to. He gets his messengers, Paul and Silas, he gets them falsely flogged and imprisoned. Uh, he has them still with the capacity to start up a midnight songs of praise service in the uh, in the prison as they start singing it. He gets an earthquake that opens the doors, gets the chains off, and no one escapes. All so that the jailer will hear the gospel and be saved. Uh, but if you're a gospel partner, the gospel is at work in the partner, but the partner is also at work for the gospel. And that's there in the first bit. Lydia is converted, and she persuades Paul and his group. She says, look, you haven't got anywhere to live or stay. Come and stay at my house and make that the headquarters. And the, the, the jailer, once he's converted, starts washing Paul and Silas's wounds, feeding them, looking after them. Now we're years further down the track. And Paul is hundreds of miles away in the prison. But now the Philippians... They're sending him a gift. We don't know exactly what it was. It might have been a check. It could have been a food parcel. It certainly was someone, Epaphras, who'd come. Paul was almost certainly under house arrest. Uh, and uh, uh, just look after his needs, do a bit of shopping for him, uh, get stuff there, be a companion. Someone is so lonely if you're stuck in prison. So here's the partner at work with the gospel. See, the gospel at work in the partner. It'll be different ways, different types of people. And we'll have a room full of different ways and different types of people here. And one of the things over the weekend might be to explore some. How does the gospel start to be at work in this partner and that partner and the one I hardly even know? Uh, yeah, but also partners at work for the gospel. And you see... If you uh, feel that isn't quite you or couldn't be you, have a look at verse 7. It's a vital verse for generous Christians. It's also a vital verse for inadequate Christians. Inadequate in the sense of that's how I feel about myself, not, not what God thinks of me. And you see, verse 7 says this. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you 
since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. See what he's trying to say in that verse? All of you share in God's grace with me. Now, whatever I'm doing, it's as if you're alongside me. You're on the front line with me. Why? Well, because you've supported me the way you have. You say, well, I, I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that. No, no, but you can give, you can pray, and, and you're alongside as a, as a gospel partner. I think over my years of ministry, uh, people who've been remarkable at praying for me. I think of two widows in uh, my first curacy in Norwich, Mrs. Hart, I mean, you won't know her. Uh, she gave me lunch every Sunday. Well, that definitely put her in the, my good books. Uh, it was a delicious lunch. Uh, but she would be praying for me all the time. Dorothy Woodhouse was a fearsome uh, uh, warrior and a fearsome prayer warrior. She would pray for country, and her great prayer was to send them out on the mission field. My greatest achievement, I think, was to stay on her prayer list without going on the mission field. I don't know how I pulled that off. But those two were, were in a sense, alongside me in everything I was doing for the gospel. They were the ones that fueled it gospel partners. And uh, I, I wonder what we're going to discover about each other through uh, this weekend. If it all seems too daunting, let me just say one other thing that will be true about everyone in this room. Not just gospel partners, but you're all a, a work in progress. You're all a work in progress. If you feel you haven't arrived spiritually, don't worry, nor has anyone else. And uh, uh, look how Paul writes to them. Uh, come, come back to verse 6. He's confident about this. What can he say for sure about these Philippians so far away? Well, he can say this. He who began a good work in you, the gospel partners have started knowing God at work in them. They just haven't finished with that. We'll carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, nearly all of us are by temperament impatient, aren't we? When we see something, particularly when we see a good thing, we want it now. And, uh, you know, we need instant results. I mean, our world seems to get set up more and more like that for instant results. If you're a football manager, well, you know, you better win uh, pretty much every game or, you, or you're gone. Uh, if you're a, a, a politician, uh, you've got to show the fruit before the next election or, or you're gone. Um, if you're an investment manager, well, when the shareholders meet, the annual meeting, what have you got to report? Yeah, God's time frame is from now until the day of Christ Jesus. If you feel he hasn't got very far with you yet, but he's still got some time to go, you'd be amazed what he can do in a second half. You see, we're a work in progress now. We're only a work completed then. So, I hope you'll understand this sentence in that context, but don't expect too much of yourself or of others. I think we often get ourselves into problems not realizing how God is working in us. And we can feel either terrible about ourselves because we've blown it yesterday. Or we feel very annoyed about someone else 
we've blown it today. And really, we don't allow in our thinking about them scope for a God who's begun a good work, but hasn't brought it to completion yet because we're not at the day of Christ Jesus. So you see, when he comes to pray in verse 9, this is how he prays. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. He's not saying, you don't have any love, you're useless at loving. He's just saying, I want it to get better and better. In knowledge and depth of insight, because often we're at a loss now, aren't we? You know, I want to pray for the good of someone else, but can I work out what the good would be in that situation? Not always. My knowledge is limited now. No. By then, it'll be complete. You know, people speak of contentment as a Christian virtue. And it is. Materially, we need to learn to be content. Uh, at the end of the letter, Paul will write that way. He'll, he'll talk about he's uh, learned to be content uh, in plenty as well as in need. He knows how to be content materially, but spiritually, uh, spiritually, that's a different matter. There is a godly discontentment. See, he's got it here. These wonderful Philippians who are doing all kinds of good things. Yeah, but I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. I want you still to be growing. A work in progress. And if we see ourselves as a work in progress, it means we're wanting more spiritually. We're, we're not thinking we've arrived yet. Our love should abound more and more. One of the great things to pray is that we grow a godly discontentment. Gospel partners, work in progress. Whoever you bump into this weekend, I, I trust that's who you'll be bumping into. And uh, it's a, a weekend to discover each other and the gospel at work in us. A weekend to explore what's in store for us as gospel partners in whom God hasn't finished working yet. Amen. Thanks, Hugh. Uh, look forward to, to hearing more from you tomorrow. Um, we're going to we're going to sing again. Um, Anyway, we've got a few minutes. Uh, we're not going to keep you too late uh, tonight, but um, we're going to just respond to what we've been hearing in a couple of ways, and we're going to start um, by doing that by, uh, by singing. So, so do stand as the music starts.